but I've had to actually work on it in myself, even still, you know, in my thirties, I still have to work on it because I recognize that if she's seeing me be a perfectionist, of course, then it's going to send the wrong message. So if I want her to develop this mindset of like letting the mistakes kind of lead the way, then I also have to do that. Welcome to Mothermaker, a podcast featuring conversations with artists who are also mothers. This is episode 8, and today I'll be sharing my conversation with Julie Comfort, photographer and founder of Rabble Magazine. My name is Emma Coy, and I'm a musician and performance artist in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I live with my husband Jason and our three-year-old son Henry. We also have a new baby on the way due this August please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Your reviews really do help the Mother Maker podcast get seen by more people. And thank you so very much for those of you who already have. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with photographer and Rabble Magazine creator, Julie Comfort in Berlin, Germany. Julie Comfort is an American expat living in Berlin with her partner, Beau, and two daughters, Tully, age 12, and Nova, age 1. She created Rabble Magazine for preteen girls, both out of a nostalgia of the magazines she read as a kid, but also to build something inspiring for her daughter's generation. Julie has backgrounds in glassblowing, photography, writing, and graphic design, and all of these different skills have come together in the creation of this print magazine. I relate to Julie and her jack-of-all-trades qualities. I have often felt a little bit lost, not able to pick one field to focus on. I double majored in modern dance and classical music in my undergrad, and also had interest in a lot of other things growing up. It's great to see someone else who also dabbles in many different things, but has been able to embrace those qualities of versatility by combining them to create this really special project. The birth of Rabble Magazine also came with the birth of Julie's second baby. 11 years after becoming a mother for the first time. We talked a lot about how much more difficult this one has been for Julie. We also dive into how hard Julie is working to foster an attitude of letting go of perfectionism in her work as she's raising her girls. As parents, we have this remarkable opportunity to have a hand in shaping the way our children see the world and themselves. We take on the responsibility of making sure they don't make the same mistakes we did, including the perception we have of ourselves. By creating Rabble Magazine, Julie is doing everything she can, not only to shape her daughter's self-confidence, but to spread it to anyone who is willing to listen. I think it's remarkable. Just one other note, there are a few audio glitches in this interview. Thank you for being patient with me as I'm still learning the ropes of recording these. If you've got feedback about this episode or the podcast in general, there are lots of ways to get in touch with me and the Mothermaker team. You can send me an email at emma at mothermaker.co. We're also on Facebook at Mothermaker Co. and Instagram at Mothermaker. Also, be sure to sign up for our newsletter by going to mothermaker.co and clicking newsletter in the upper right-hand corner. By joining our mailing list, you'll get new interviews delivered to your inbox as soon as they're released. If you're looking for a community of mother artists, please join our Facebook group, Mother Maker Artists Raising Humans. 
This is a group of women from all over the world sharing our work each week and encouraging each other. We'd love to have you join us. Just search for Mothermaker Artists Raising Humans on Facebook. So now, here's my conversation with Julie Comfort. So are you in Berlin? Yeah, yeah. How long have you been there? Um, about four years. And where did you, where were you before that? Um, well, I, kind of all over. I grew up in New Jersey, and um, I kind of bounced around the U.S. through most of my my 20s, and then um, I lived in Costa Rica for a while, and then I moved back to the States for a bit, and then and then here. Wow. So what made you do all of that moving? You know, that's a good question. I just have always kind of been looking for the next experience, I think, and the next thing. And um, yeah, I think I've always been sort of looking for something that I didn't quite know what it was. And moving around gave me the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself and reinvent my life. And it's just always appealed to me to kind of be in new places and have new experiences. Uh, My (laughs) husband and I often like dream about just picking up and moving somewhere, but it's really hard to like, with kids anyway, it's really hard to just pull the trigger and go. So it's always really comforting to see somebody else who just kind of makes it happen and does it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, like the when we moved to Costa Rica, I was I was married at the time and uh, my daughter was, I guess, about a year old. And I had this like middle of the night panic of, oh, my God, I don't think this is really what I want. And so we decided that if there was ever an opportunity to kind of do something crazy and move to another country, that that was that was the moment before she was in school. And we weren't really that far into our careers at that point. And I just felt like this is the most free we'll ever probably be. And so we picked up and moved to Costa Rica. Wow. (laughs) And so remind me again, how long were you there before it was time to start thinking about school and stuff? Um, actually, so we were there about six years and my daughter did start school there. And at the time, I, when we first moved there, I kind of thought we would be there maybe forever or at least for quite a big chunk of time. And we had a great community of people there and actually really loved her school. And she grew up going to this kind of, it was in an old house and they were barefoot in the dirt all day and speaking Spanish. And it was kind of this fantasy that I always had for her growing up, this kind of wild, feral childhood. And then um, and my, and my career actually really took off when we were living in Costa Rica, but then uh, my husband divorced. And uh, after a while, I just, I felt like I was kind of ready for the next thing at that point. It seemed like a turning point in my life. And yeah, I ultimately, I didn't necessarily want to come back to the States, but um, I was kind of called back there and um, I was just ready for the next thing. So what is your background in what artistic field? <laughs> I guess in the same way that I've always moved places, I've moved through a lot of mediums. I actually went to art school for glass blowing. <laughs> And then um, when I was at art school in California, I took some photography and design classes, and that seemed to be a little bit more practical than glass blowing. So I switched to that. And then um, when I was um, trying to finish up my degree, I had to take 
like an English class to fulfill some requirement. And I took a creative writing class at, um, at San Jose state. I wasn't going to a state school, but I was going to art school, but classes were cheaper at the state school. So I took some of the non art classes there. And my writing professor told me, uh, I should be a writer and I would be wasting my life if I did anything else. So I dropped out of art school and actually he was the head of the uh, writing department. So he actually admitted me to the master's program uh, for creative writing. So then I just kind of skipped getting my bachelor's and went straight to my master's in creative writing. But I've mostly made my living from photography and a little bit of design. I like that. (laughs) I'm that way too. Like (laughs) I can never pick one thing. Um, But I I wouldn't have it any other way. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) How did you get the idea to start the magazine? Is it Rabble? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so for a while, when in Costa Rica and, and after I moved back to the States, I was making my living primarily as a wedding photographer. And that was great. It was great business. Um, I loved it. I loved traveling all over the world and shooting weddings. It was kind of a dream job. But the industry completely changed in the 10 years from when I started to when I moved to Berlin. And I just didn't feel like I had it in me to start over again. I had already started that business twice, you know, once in Costa Rica, once when I moved back to the States. And I just didn't feel like I could reinvent my business here in Europe and compete. And the prices were lower here and I would have been taking a pay cut. And I just, it just wasn't my thing anymore. And so um, I spent maybe a year kind of looking for my next project. And I don't know, it just sort of came to me, I kind of had this, I was having this nostalgia for teen magazines from when I was a teenager. And I started thinking about how cool it would be to kind of make a modern version of sassy magazine. But then I realized I I don't think about teenagers nowadays, I feel like being a teenager now is completely different than it was in the early 90s when I was a teenager. And I just didn't feel like I had anything to say to teenagers necessarily. But I started thinking about, you know, my daughter and her having that experience of reading magazines like I had had. And so I almost thought about creating like a teen magazine, but for younger girls. So my daughter's age, she was around nine at the time. And uh, that was kind of the vision I had, this kind of cool magazine that was full of um, but interesting, but relatable stories of kind of really cool girls and women from around the world that were just kind of doing cool things. Um, and, but I really pulled from my feeling of nostalgia of reading magazines when I was younger. And how old is your daughter now? She's 12. So how much input does she give you into what goes into the magazine? Quite a bit. I um, I try to make it kind of a collaborative process with her. Um, I also have a partner now, and um, so obviously we manage uh, the creative side of the magazine, but she really does give us feedback on a lot of ideas. She's kind of almost like the test market. Yeah, I think it's great for her and her friends too. They like to participate and um, give their ideas. And and of course, I use them for photos and those kind of things as well. So that's great. So what goes into making a magazine? (laughs) Yeah, it seems like (laughs) I don't know. I, I just know nothing about that. But it seems like it's a ton of 
I mean, not only work, but a lot of skill that you would have to know to make a print magazine. Yeah. How did you learn all of that? Well, I definitely, so I have a background in both um, graphic design and photography. So I was at least able to bring those skills to the table and, and writing. Um, but I did have to completely teach myself the independent publishing um, industry. At first, it was it was me doing it by myself. So it was um, I'm not only coming up with the content, doing interviews, um, doing all of the design, sourcing imagery, laying it out in InDesign, but then also was doing all of the business side of everything myself, the marketing and all of that. And right after, and I had made a business plan and I actually got a little investment money to start it. And it, like, I had this vision for how I was going to do everything. And then right after I got the initial investment, I got pregnant again. So that definitely changed the timeline quite a bit. Um, and now I have an almost one-year-old. Um, so I, I would have thought we, we would have six issues out by now and we've done two. So um, we're about to launch the third issue um, next month. In a, we're doing a Kickstarter to launch that issue. So, definitely having another baby put a, put a little bit of a wrench in the plans. But, um, but that's pretty good that even with a one year old, you still got out two issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about. The difference in becoming a mother with your first and then becoming a mother with your second. What did you expect going into motherhood the first time? Well, yeah, my career really hadn't taken off yet. And so in a way, it was really easy because I didn't have to give anything up in a sense. I I had like a part-time job working for a photographer and there was no big it didn't feel like any kind of sacrifice of my time to bring a baby into the mix. And I, and I, um, I was, yeah, in my twenties. So I had a lot of energy back then. And, um, and she was a really easy baby and, you know, I had kind of a, a great pregnancy and she was sleeping through the night at three months. And I kind of took for granted how lucky I was with that one. <laughs> And then, um, and then to do it again 11 years later, of course, I was expecting it would be very similar. And I thought, oh, I'll be able to kind of still run my business and, you know, maybe I'll get a little bit of help, but um, it shouldn't, shouldn't be that big a deal. But this has been completely different in almost every way. I mean, I'm older, so definitely it's a little bit more difficult to go through pregnancy and the sleepless nights affect me more, but she's also a completely different baby. I mean, she's, she's actually just started sleeping through the night, but, um, I had a very difficult pregnancy. I had postpartum depression. I had, you know, just really, really rough time. And she's just a much more demanding baby. So it's, drained me so much more than the first time. And um, it was really hard for me to let go of the expectation that I had that it shouldn't be this hard and to just kind of let go and accept that it is hard and it's okay. And it's okay to just focus on this right now and put my career aside for a little bit. That was really, really difficult for me to do. Um, but it was kind of necessary. I just couldn't, I just couldn't manage it all. Yeah. And, and you're still just a year from that, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's part of um the struggle I have too is that I think if I were much younger when I became a mom for the first time and didn't have a career trajectory didn't yet know what I wanted that maybe it wouldn't have interrupted my life in such a way yeah and I didn't the fact that I didn't expect for that to happen either Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um made it even harder and yeah I mean that's interesting though that you can see the difference between your first and your second so what kinds of things have helped well, I mean, I, I really wish that I had had more family nearby. And part of the nature of being an expat is that I kind of sacrificed that. And that's something that I really wish that I had had more access to, you know, a close community that could help. I really needed it and um, didn't really have it. But what ended up helping the most is just just giving in and just accepting that I'm not going to be able to do it all right now. Yeah, I think the timing with the first one was kind of perfect. I think my career really took off around the time she was two and a half, three. So she was in school during the day and I had more free time and I was shooting weddings on the weekends when my husband was around and um, and eventually my business took off and he became a stay-at-home dad. And um, just the timing worked out really well, I think, for my career to really take off when she was already school age. Versus this time when I already have an active career that is really demanding. And then to add a newborn on top of that was, I mean, just really, really hard. (laughs) So being in Berlin, do you have access to childcare in a different way than you would if you were in the States? Yes. Um, Starting from age one, we have basically free child care until age three. So that's great. And that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to. It doesn't exactly start exactly at one year. It usually starts um, kind of at the end of the summer when the older kids go to school and that's when the spaces open up. Um, But that's sort of the light at the end of the tunnel right now is that I'm going to get this free child care because of course, private child care is always an option as well, but it's just so expensive. And I got kind of stuck in this catch 22 where it was like, well, I don't have enough time to make, to focus on my work, to make money, to make, you know, to be able to pay for a babysitter, but I need a babysitter to have time to work. And it, it, I just couldn't quite get out of that loop. And I'm just now kind of seeing the end of that. And, um, and also we get one other nice thing about living in Germany is, Um, We do have paid parental leave Um, as a freelancer. It wasn't, you know, it's not the best money, but it definitely helps. And we get um, what's called Kindergeld, which is money for each child. And it's, it's like 200 euros per child every month. And that really, really helps. I mean, these things are available to everybody living in Germany. So that's been really great. Mm -hmm. When have you carved out time to work? in this last year and what have been sort of the challenges of that? Yeah. Um, right now I basically work whenever I possibly can. If she's playing quietly and independently, I'll work when she's napping. I work after she goes to bed at night. I work on the weekends. I work, I I probably get my, the most work done on the weekends because my partner's here and you know, he'll take the baby and, um, and I will usually go to a cafe and work on my computer or something. 
And, um, but the challenge of course, is that I have almost no real downtime because I'm either being a stay at home mom or I'm working and it's very hard to kind of carve out time for relaxing and just, yeah. And you're sort of burning the candle at both ends. For sure. And and also I feel a little bit guilty that I'm neglecting my older daughter. Um, you know, it was just she and I for a while, um, you know, we moved here, the two of us. And so she was used to having a lot of my attention. And we went from a family of two to a family of four, you know, very quickly. And I mean, she's she's great and she's handling it great. But I still, of course, have that that maternal guilt of, you know, I wish that I could give her more right now, but, um, yeah, I just don't have anything left. Yeah. We're, <laughs> you're doing the best that you can. So how's the magazine going and what's the future look like for it? Yeah. So it's, it's actually, it's going really well right now. I definitely had to take a step back from it and that was really hard, mostly because I felt like, I had built up this fan base and then I felt like other people had expectations of me that I wasn't living up to. And that was really hard for me. But I, I finally uh, realized I I couldn't do it on my own. And so I had um, hired a social media manager and she was just nailing it. And I really enjoyed working with her. And so I just thought, you know, why don't you come on as my partner and we can do this together. And she was, she was into it. So now, um, we're working on it together, which is great. And that's kind of given me the, you know, the edge that I needed to really move forward. So right now we're working on, um, a Kickstarter campaign for the third issue. And we are planning on adding some more, um, online content. We want to do some video stories, kind of, um, like little short, uh, documentaries about, women in the arts. And um, we also plan to introduce uh, a creative grant program for preteen girls, you know, just kind of like mini grants that would give them the resources and materials to pursue a project that they, or an idea that they might have. Um, So I just think it's really important as a creative person, especially at that kind of transitional year where you're kind of moving between childhood and the teen years, it's just such a tenuous time for confidence and, you know, just to have somebody in your corner that's encouraging you and pushing you to keep going and pursuing these things and not kind of giving up because you don't feel confident enough in your abilities or your creativity and and those kind of things. Like just, um, so yeah, we want to be able to provide more, not just content, you know, along those lines, but resources as well. One line from your about page really stood out to me. Can I read that? Mm-hmm. Whether she is living luxurious in a big city or wearing hand-me-downs in a remote fishing village, whether she has disabilities, illnesses, or limitations of any kind, whether she is big or small or short or tall, her story is stunning and it matters and it must be preserved and shared. <laughs> I love that so much. (laughs) It's just creating this culture of inclusivity and celebrating the spirit inside the girl as she's growing. Can you talk about where this came from? Is this something that you looked for as a kid or something you see in your daughter? Yeah, definitely. I, I really struggled during like my middle school and high school years. I was so, you know, 
insecure and lacking confidence and comparing myself to other people. And I became, I was still creative, but I became very private about it. I didn't share my work with, with anyone. And I remember coming across this box of, you know, things I had written and things I had made years later. And I was like, wow, I actually was really talented back then. And no one ever got to see it because I was so fearful and I had so much self-doubt in my abilities. And I didn't really feel the sense of community um, among my peers for, I didn't want to say I wasn't encouraged to be creative because I definitely had creative friends and my, my parents definitely encouraged my creativity, but I don't know. I just, I guess I was kind of missing that, that validation that I needed to kind of believe in myself. And, um, I definitely started to see that in my daughter as well. She's started to get that little voice of self doubt of like, I'm not good enough at this or you know, what will people think? And she really started to become a perfectionist. And I knew that that was something she inherited from me. And, and I, you know, I still struggle with perfectionism, but it, it's something I can see now as not helpful to me at all and something I'm working to overcome. And I thought if I could prevent her from getting to this point. So if I could almost intervene before it becomes a real problem, I feel like that would be an enormous gift that I could give her um, and any girls that age to kind of intervene and say, don't listen to the self-doubt. Don't feel like it has to be perfect or you have to be perfect. Yeah. I just, I was just kind of hoping to de derail the way that those thoughts can kind of really affect the direction that our lives take. I've been talking about this idea of perfectionism with a friend of mine. She's she's actually having this similar experience where she's starting to see it in her kids mm -hmm. and getting worried about it because, you know, as adults, we know that perfectionism can lead to that self-doubt in a really powerful and negative way. Mm -hmm. And as kids, you think of perfectionism maybe as a positive thing, like, exactly. oh, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be perfect at this. And everything I produce is going to look great for my teachers and my parents. And I love this this thought of, like, let's let's stop that those <laughs> ideas that perfectionism is always going to lead to something positive because sometimes it's about the process, yeah. Right. And the journey of learning through the mistakes. Exactly. And as adults, I think we just have to support that in kids as they're growing, you know, that mistakes are an okay thing, you know? Yeah. But I've had to actually work on it in myself, even still, you know, in my thirties, I still have to work on it because I recognize that if she's seeing me be a perfectionist, of course, then it's going to send the wrong message. So if I want her to develop this mindset of like letting the mistakes kind of lead the way, then I also have to do that. And that's been a challenge for me, but, um, but it's been great. I mean, I definitely am now able to get things out there more quickly, you know, before I would have obsessed over everything and I, uh, every little detail and, um, I probably still wouldn't have launched the first issue because it wasn't perfect, but, uh, <laughs> I'd still be tweaking things and, um, but, uh, you know, I had to just do it. 
and and I'm glad that I did. Yeah. <laughs> is the magazine available in the U.S. or is it only in Europe? Yeah, it, we ship worldwide, and the price is pretty much the same in uh, the U.S. and Europe. So yeah, it can be purchased on the website. Okay, awesome. So do you work from home or do you have a space you go to? Uh, right now, I work from home. Um, I used to have a space before I got pregnant. I decided to kind of scale back on my expenses and everything. Um, but I do really miss that community. I liked, I liked having a workplace to go to. It's definitely a positive thing for me. So actually today I just went and, uh, looked at a place. It's a, it's like a co-working and childcare combined. So I'm considering (laughs) that option. Um, I I think that that, in my life too. Yeah. I I love the idea of like riding my bike there and, you know, dropping her off on one side and going to my, you know, studio on the other. And, um, that would be kind of ideal. So what do you feel most proud of so far in, well, in either the creation of the magazine or in your career prior to the magazine what is what are some of the projects that you feel really proud of and connected to Uh, I mean I'm definitely proud that I managed to launch the magazine and I do have to remind myself actually of how much work I have done because it's easy to focus on the fact that I'm definitely not where I thought I would be at this point with the magazine but I did it and I got it out and um, and I'm really proud of what we're doing with the magazine and the message of it. And um, I'm proud of the way that it looks. And I feel like I've put a lot of my aesthetic into it and my ideas. And it's kind of become a place where I can express all of these different skills that I've developed over the years. The photography and the design and the writing can kind of all come together in, in one place. And I feel really proud of that. That's great. I I want to see it. I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a copy. <laughs> oh, I would love that. How does it feel for you to be creating that work in front of your daughter, you know, both on a personal level because you're pursuing what you want to be doing, but also because what you're making is so meaningful to her as she's growing. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot to me. And she's kind of been my my muse, in a sense, for the last several years. Uh, definitely my photographic muse. I take a lot of pictures of her. And um, I think this has been a great opportunity for us to work together and share ideas and connect. And I also think it provides her with an opportunity to express herself in a way where she has to take risks and know that people are going to see her work. And um, I can imagine that when I was at her age, that I would have been terrified to think that, you know, we we didn't really have the internet, but you know, that all of these people would be seeing my work on the internet. Um, but she's kind of embraced the opportunity. And I think that that's such a cool thing, um, that the people are going to, you know, see creative things that she's made and she's now taught herself hand lettering. And so we've kind of commissioned her to do some hand lettering for the magazine. And yeah, I just think it's cool. I've been able to give her this opportunity to share her work yeah it's an important part of being an artist is actually also getting to share your work with people what advice would you give to other mother makers 
I would say definitely to let go of your expectations and just kind of get into journey. And, and it, you know, people say this and it certainly doesn't feel like it when you're in the midst of it, but it really does go by very quickly. And I mean, there were times where I just was looking at my life, like, I just can't do this, but it really ultimately is temporary. You know, the really challenging part of juggling motherhood and career and all those things so temporary in the grand scheme of things. It feels like it's not, but, but it is. And I think the more I fought against it, the harder that it was. And when I, when I ultimately just kind of like gave in and was like, okay, this is what it's going to be right now, but it's okay. I can do it. It's not forever. Yeah. And motherhood is kind of comes first and I need to just kind of let go of feeling like I need to do it all. Mm, Yeah. And your work will be there if you take a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Well, I hope to see the magazine. I'm, I'm really excited to share it with the the community and um, I wish you the best. Awesome. Thank you so much. So that's it for this episode of the Mothermaker podcast. We do publish all of our interviews in text form as well. So to read Julie Comfort's interview or to send it to a friend, visit mothermaker.co slash interviews slash Julie comfort. You'll also find photographs of Julie's work, her family, and links to her websites and all of her social media accounts. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter or send me an email with your feedback. You can always connect with me on Instagram and Facebook as well. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Emma Coy. Our web designer and developer is my husband, Jason Coy, and our text editor is my dear friend, Alyssa Zimmerman-Exley, a new mom herself. Our music is by David Hillowitz, and our brilliant logo was designed by Matthew Fleming. Until next time, keep making work, mother makers. Thanks for listening. Out came the sun and I tried to mother it. And the yes, 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 yes